You're listening to Hawk Talk, the official podcast of Monmouth University Athletics. Here are your hosts, Eddie Acapinti and Greg Viscomi. Episode number 18 of Hawk Talk, Eddie Acapinti, Greg Viscomi here with you. And Greg, happy to be at it for another episode. 17 in the books, 18 proves to be the best one yet, though. Yeah, I hope so. Um, really excited. We got a good guest on today. Uh, you know, we we kind of reach out to our coaches because uh, we have 24 sports here. So we reach out to our coaches and try to ask them, like, hey, I want to have somebody on, on the show that uh, not only is a good athlete or not even an important athlete, but maybe someone who's got, like, an interesting backstory and or interesting hobbies or whatever. And uh, we, we wanted to have a member of the track and field program on, and we kicked around a bunch of different names. And then I said, well, let me go to Coach Nelson and see what he's got. And he came up with a freshman that I knew little about, but he's got lots of fun stuff to talk about. And uh, I'm really kind of pumped for this for this uh, this episode. As am I. And for the sim for similar reasons, but also, you know, it's so interesting to get everyone's perspective. We've had transfers that have come into Monmouth that are in their fifth or sixth years on the podcast. We've had veterans and juniors and seniors. So not only does Tennessee Tremaine have a great backstory, and not only does he have a unique perspective as an international student athlete, there's a lot of different things that make him so unique, but we're happy to bring him in now. We're happy that he's able to join us. So before we get into any of the fun things that make Tennessee, Tennessee, first of all, thanks for joining us. And how are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. This is this is going to be really exciting. I think this will be a, a, be a fun episode for sure. Yeah. Well, we feel the same way. So happy that you do too. And like Greg mentioned, you know, so much of what we enjoy with Hawk Talk is being able to get to know some student athletes that maybe would have taken a year or two otherwise to, you know, for us to obviously all be acquainted. So we're so happy that we're able to kind of do it this way. And let's start. We have so much to cover, but I I guess I want to start here, right? Finishing up now your freshman year, you know, at Monmouth in college. How has your freshman year of school kind of gone for you? Is it something, have you expected a lot of what you've gone through? Has it been a great learning year for you? Where are you at now kind of here in late April as you, of your freshman year? Honestly, so far it's been a beautiful transition from what I had in high school. Like everything sort of came together really well and really nicely because honestly, when you hear a lot of people like going off to the first year, it's like, oh, I struggle with this. Like I had a lot of problems here and there, but it was just figuring it out. And honestly, with every single sort of team of programs, so the International Students Program, the Global Education Office, uh, the track and field team, academics, um, everything sort of just really came together. And I think that's really helped me um, uh, and sort of allowed me to benefit my teams and and do everything that I can uh, for the program because I've just had so much help and so much assistance sort of along the way. And I think that's really benefited everything that's sort of come after it. let, let's start off how you got to Monmouth, right? Because we don't, I mean, we don't have a ton. I, I, I went to grad school up at Canisius in Buffalo and every other kid you meet's from Ontario, right? Like tons. Uh, but we don't have a lot of Canadians that come down here. Um, how'd, you get, how'd you get introduced to Monmouth? I mean, you, did you know anything about it before getting recruited? I doubt it, but you can be honest about that. That's okay. Nobody's ego is going to be checked here. But ha- but how does Tennessee Tremaine end up at in West Long Branch, New Jersey, all the way from Gulf on Tenerife? Right. So basically, I was just looking for a really strong track and field and athletics program, along with a, a strong academic program. And so, and I definitely wanted to come to the United States as both sort of like a cultural experience. Like I wanted to 
get to be involved and, and go to a new place and sort of learn, learn by experience in that sort of case. But I also wanted to uh, compete at a higher level. I wanted to um, uh, join academics programs at a, at a very high level and sort of Monmouth just sort of checked out all those boxes, honestly, even though I, I wasn't extremely familiar with Monmouth at first, I very quickly became acquainted with it. And, um, Every single thing I looked at, like athletics program, track program's amazing. All the other athletics teams do very, very well year after year. Uh, the academics programs are very strong. The program I wanted to go into, computer science, has a has a wonderful program mm-hmm. and great reviews. And and so basically, once I sort of found out about Monmouth, um, everything just sort of came together. I'd, and uh, it just seemed like the perfect fit for me and the perfect place for me, and and I and I thought I could really make a difference here, and I felt like uh, Monmouth could definitely make a big difference for me. Did you have to talk your parents into traveling ten hours away to to school? Uh, so they definitely they definitely encouraged me to like like sort of pursue every opportunity that I could get. They definitely wish I was closer for sure. Like <laughs> ten hours is like nine ten hours is a is a long drive for sure, and and but however it is manageable like it's if if i really wanted to like get it done in a day it's it's doable it's not it's not all the way across the country or all the way across the continent where it takes me days to get back and forth and so definitely like going to a place this far away uh it's definitely sort of it's different than what most people have to deal with but it's this is just an opportunity that i want to pursue enough and my parents were uh, very supportive and encouraging for me to sort of go after all the goals that I had and, and attack everything, every opportunity that I was uh, uh, given. And it's so interesting. Like you mentioned the, it, it's far, but it's not right. It, mm. It's, it's still, you know, it's an East coast, you know, of both the United States and of Canada. And, and obviously, you know, the kind of regionality of it. Uh, what was your experience like in the States before coming to college? Was it, you know, trips? Was it, you know, different things with you and your family or, or maybe through competitions? Uh, Honestly, a little bit of it also. Another very lucky thing about myself is I've had the I've had the luxury of being able to travel a lot. My family sort of uh, we don't like prioritize m- maybe having super nice things in our house or anything like that. My my parents are always like, uh, let's explore, let's uh, like sort of um, engage ourselves with other cultures and and expose ourselves to as many things as possible. So I had the I had the I was very lucky to have traveled a lot before coming here. Um, so I, I have been able to visit a lot of the United States and, and been able to sort of expose myself to all sorts of different parts, to the West and, and the East uh, as well. And I think I've definitely uh, come to really, really like the East. I was able, uh, back in seventh grade, to spend, I spent a whole month in, in Brooklyn. We rented an apartment in Brooklyn. So it's um, awesome. Yeah, wow. it was, it was very, very, it was a very cool experience. So we were in Manhattan almost every day and and I sort of really came to love this whole, the whole East coast is really nice. Uh, especially like all seasons are sort of great because the winter, it's not necessarily as cold as where I come from, but you still get sort of the right. festivities and the sort of, I a little bit of snow. Yeah. A little bit of snow here and there. And so, and you sort of get that part, but you also get the part where it's nice and warm out and you have the beach. And that's another great thing about Monmouth's location is it's a mile from the beach. You get sort of every, every different part of weather you can sort of, uh, get a little bit of every season. It's just a great location. So I come to really enjoy the East coast of the United States. So when you're, when you're in Brooklyn for a month, 
what was the first thing you guys had to go do? Like, what was the first thing you get Brooklyn? You probably get set up. You're like, all right, we're here. What was the first thing as a family you guys went and did? Uh, I don't exactly remember the first thing we did, but I know one thing that we were able to do often is um, actually our apartment was only two subway stops away from the Barclays Center. So we were able to see at at the time as well, uh, the Brooklyn Nets weren't the Brooklyn Nets that they are now. (laughs) And, um, and they were selling tickets for $2 a person. So (laughs) as a family, we could go to a Brooklyn Nets game for under $10, which was, which was incredible. So we were able to go see uh, the Islanders a few times played there. And we also watched the the Nets. And that was sort of a a favorite for me because my family's always been sort of engaged in, uh, in, in sports and, and things like that. So visiting the Barclays Center every once in a while was always something that I definitely enjoyed and, and always wanted to go back to see. That's awesome. That's so cool. I'm sure those next tickets maybe just a little bit more expensive yeah, now. Yeah, Well, I don't know. After going down 0-2. Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Rolling and over last night. Such an interesting kind of perspective. You mentioned your family's always been engaged in, in sports. So uh, what were the other sports of your childhood and, and that you played kind of growing up? In addition, obviously, you know, track and field is kind of the – it's the biggest test of athleticism, right, that kind of athletics has as far as, you know, can you run faster, further, throw things further. But, but Tennessee, what were the other sports that kind of composed your childhood um, that, you know, you kind of were involved in before you maybe realized that track and field was the thing that could get you into college? Right. So basically I didn't, I didn't actually start running track and field until, like I didn't take it that seriously until the beginning to middle of high school. Throughout uh, my earlier years, my parents sort of encouraged me just to go out and like do things that I really, really had fun doing. Like, um, for example, I played basketball for eight or nine years. Um, I played baseball all the way until I started running. Um, I played a little bit of hockey here and there. So, but it was always just sort of uh, stay active, stay healthy, and and do the things that really make you enjoy like playing sports. Um, and so I think probably the biggest one was definitely basketball. Um, but then once I once I hit high school and I started to like sort of fall in love with running. Um, I sort of had to prioritize that over other things. I knew that it is something that I really enjoyed, something that I really wanted to take to the next level and something that I knew I could take to the next level with a proper program, for example, Monmouth. Um, And so I sort of really started prioritizing that. Not to to say that I don't enjoy doing those things anymore. Like whenever I have the opportunity, if I'm out of season or if I have a little break, I definitely still love taking part in those activities. But... uh, Track and field and running is just sort of something that I had to prioritize at the expense of other things that I enjoy. So I'm, I'm going to jump in here now as a great segue because you took two of those things and made them one. Uh, one of the interesting, one of the many interesting things about Tennessee uh, is that you, ha- you had the world record for running a mile while dribbling a basketball, right. which is like... There's going to be people sitting there going, well, it's not that hard to to jog a mile and dribble a basketball. But we're not talking about jogging a mile and dribbling a basketball. We're talking about running a mile and dribbling a basketball. Yeah, I could do it in 30 minutes. Sure. Right? Yeah. You know, that, like, stop and get some water. Lots of people yeah, hang out, talk to someone. This is a different kind <laughs> <Yeah>. of. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. So, so I don't even know. How did you even get the idea to do this? What was the time? Some hooligan went out there and beat it and i know you you got your eyes back on it. so give us kind of the, the background on trying to do that okay so this is sort of it all started sort of the beginning of like covid19 where we're all in isolation i was training by myself i i wasn't meeting friends for runs or workouts or anything like that 
And so I was just sort of training by myself. And although uh, I got a lot better from that, like being focused and it sort of trained my mentality to be able to run by myself. And also like I sort of lacked the competition, lacked sort of the competitive spirit. Um, and so uh, on the internet one day, this was, this was right after uh, the Michael Jordan series came out on television. Uh, one of the coaches at UNC for track and field, Dylan Sorensen, he went out and he ran a mile with a basketball in 437. And I was like, you know what? Like with my background, I, I've played basketball for eight or nine years. Um, I love running. I think I'm in great shape. I was like, that's something that I really want to do. And I think it's definitely, I'm definitely capable of doing it. So uh, at the end of every practice, this was sort of when we were starting to integrate back with other people. So I would go do a workout with four or five people. And at the very end, I just tack on a few sort of strides or, or, or just sprints down the track with a basketball in my hands just so then I could feel it. Um, and some of the things like you, you would think, oh, I can, I can handle a basketball, but actually running with it is like, it completely changes your mind because people are so explosive with the basketball. And I feel like that's a very important thing, uh, in the sport is being very explosive and being able to move off the dribble. Uh, but in this sustaining it for like longer periods of time, it's, it's sort of weird. You start to like lose focus maybe a little bit going around corners. That was maybe the hardest part is you're going an awkward angle for a long time and you just you just got to keep that up and so that was something that was very difficult but in, in any case I, I continued to work at it for a few weeks uh, at the end of every sort of practice I would do a little bit and then one day I was like you know what we nailed down a date and I was like this is this is going to be the day we we can go out and do it um, and so I had a few friends and, uh, and film it and I had my parents come out and watch uh, and I ran 433 with a basketball and um <laughs> On the mile, and that was just that was really exciting. I finished, and I was like, "Holy cow, this is this is really cool!" And it got, um, and and some people saw it, and and honestly, it was it was even something that I could that I could use during recruiting processes because I was like, uh, like I can I can athleticism, do, yeah, and I can I can do different things alongside running and and sort of like I can I can combine multiple things, and I can run fast like with some hindrances or or, or whatever, and and so. It sort of that was something that I really really enjoyed doing, and obviously you mentioned before that um, someone went out and, and broke it again. I think someone ran four thirty or four thirty one, and so within within the next few weeks, sometime when there's not a competition, I don't want to like I don't want to obviously affect competition <laughs> right. with Monmouth University. But um, if there's ever a time in the next few weeks that I see oh this this might not like affect me too much uh, uh my goal for the next time I go out and run is is to run four twenty something with a basketball because I feel like that that's sort of when it gets to the point where it's not like oh someone else who also has played basketball can run fast can just go out and and break it the next week i the next time I do it, I sort of want to put down a time where it's like okay, I can't just like go out and do this on right, a, someone's a got to train to be you. exactly exactly <laughs> the the whole thing is remarkable because First of all, and you casually said what you ran with the basketball in your hand, right? That alone is an accomplishment that people would yeah, talk about. Take the for, basketball out of it. Take the basketball out of it. 100%. People talk about it for years. Sure. So you mentioned how different it is with the basketball. I'm just curious, as someone who's dribbled a lot, of, dribbled a basketball a lot, but not run a whole lot, how, how, far, how far in advance do you have to... You're going so fast. Maybe not to you, but to everyone else. You're flying. How far in advance do you kind of have to put the ball in front? Because you can't fumble it, right? You can't, like, because right. it's, yeah. that's, that's the screws hard. Your, if you misstep, it screws your whole time. Well, it screws the time up. And and that would, so there, how, just take me through it. Take the listener <laughs> through, 
like how you're able to do that because everyone dribbles standing still and it's hard enough. Right. How far ahead do you have to throw it to yourself? Are you more dribbling? Are you more running to get to the dribble? Like, I'm so fascinated by this. I would definitely say that like you have to push it out like a long way. Like you have to cover as much ground as possible at a time. So I sort of take it as like, I look at how I would try to run this. Like how how would I run, for example, if I'm trying to run 420 something with a basketball, I look, okay, how would I run like 420 something without a basketball? And I sort of sort of try to incorporate the basketball into that. And so I look at it, okay, if I want to run this pace, then I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to maybe like I'm gonna have to push it a long way. And I sort of I sort of just like I throw it in there with like how I'm running and like hopefully it like hopefully it works out Sinks as up. well. Um but I would say definitely going back to um, the the most awkward part was 100% because down the straights, people, uh, the other thing is once you get good at dribbling standing still and you're working on like dribbling while moving, running in a straight line, eventually you can you can get that. It's not, it's not too complicated once you can pick up, okay, run, dribble. But going around those corners, it's, it's very awkward because with my right arm, like I have to push that across my body, body mm-hmm. in front of me to my left. And then when I go back to my right and I'm still turning left, then I sort of have to just like like push nudge it, a, like yeah. nudge it because it's gonna fly way out to my right. <laughs> so definitely, that's the that's definitely the hardest part and the most sort of confusing and awkward part that I definitely had to get used to was sort of like finding that happy medium of having to push it out really far with my right and then just nudging it with my left and then I get back on the straight and then I got to think, okay, just like back to now normal dribbling dribble. again. So it, before we sat down and had this conversation. It didn't even, and it, uh, it's my fault for being an idiot, but I didn't even think that he did this around a track. Oh, you thought he was doing it like in a that, straight like, line? I found a street and said, all right, here's a mile-long street. I'm just going to go. So when he starts, to, when, when Tennessee starts to explain, like, going around a curve, and I'm thinking, like, my arm would be keep, like, yeah, as I'm dribbling, yes. it'd be, like, out here. The physics uh, of it is it's fascinating. Wild. It's wild. It's awesome. And and I, if you end up doing it at Monmouth, you better tell us. Because we will 100% cover it, um, and we will come out there probably with some cameras and uh, and film it. So if it definitely, if if you do find that break after you guys win, Max, and uh, you know wherever you're heading after that, uh, if you find time to do it, let us know because we will be out there to uh, 100% cover that. Yeah, that would be exciting. That would be fun. It would be. I mean, for all of us, like yeah. 100% will be out there. Four it, minutes. It's it's remarkable. Just the <laughs> amount of time alone, and. It, I feel like certain things that we've kind of heard people talk about, like like you said, that was almost a a byproduct of COVID and you being inventive and you finding new ways to kind of, you know, train yourself. So it, it, as you're getting ready to go to college at a time when, and really you to finish high school first and then go to college through, you know, that difficult time when you're training and you're trying to be at your absolute best besides the, the, you know, obviously dribbling the basketball and, and doing that as a tremendous activity. Were there other things that you, kind of did yourself to challenge yourself to get ready for college competition, knowing that, uh, you know, you didn't have a full high school career, right? Knowing, and so many people talk about the college athletes during COVID and what they dealt with while here at Monmouth, but I want to go way before that. You had to deal, deal with it for a couple of years in school and Canada was much more strict for a lot longer than the United States was. So what were the things that maybe you did that were maybe a little different or, or how did you approach that knowing that you wanted to be a division one athlete? Right. So the big one of the big things in in sort of becoming a college athlete is going into college. uh, A lot of schools want to know 
sort of what times you can run. Like, what what can you run for this event and this event? And obviously, as you mentioned, Canada was a lot stricter for a lot longer with uh, with the COVID laws and regulations. Um, and so I there were there wasn't any competitions. Like, I didn't have like our schools weren't even in, so I couldn't I couldn't compete at school. Uh, clubs couldn't have like travel teams and 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 things of that nature. Uh, they couldn't go to meets, and so I was sort of I was sort of by myself, and I was sort of thinking, okay, this is something that like I need to get time somehow, and I need to I need to show people that I can run fast somehow, but I can't go to meets. And so basically, what we started doing is we started setting up uh, several different like sort of time trials, which is a little different because you don't really have that sort of competitive spirit where it's like, oh, I've got to beat this person, but it also gives you sort of a baseline to to sort of go out and attack something. So basically, when uh, once I was able to meet up with like a few other people, um, this was actually really good because like this was a huge step for me because uh, I would there were also a few people in my area that were also looking to go uh, and run abroad and so we all sort of had the same idea like look if we went out we got we got someone maybe older or someone who's already in college and back um, and we got them to go out and and pace us for like a like a good time or something like that and we just sort of like hung on and, and, and tried our best to do that, that that'll really benefit us in the process. So definitely setting up those, those time trials with a few, a few friends is, was really good. And, and then honestly, other than that, I think another big part was just staying motivated and staying healthy. Um, because obviously you can, you can go out and, and run one fast race. There's no question, but, um, if you're not inspired to do so, like if I, if I wasn't like feeling it on a day because running is incredibly mental. If you're not, you're not ready for a certain day or you're not ready to, to go out and really put everything on the line, then it's just not gonna, just not gonna work out. So I, I did a lot of things like, as I mentioned, uh, basketball, like I, I'd go out in an hour every day in my driveway. And that, that's what that sort of did for me is it sort of allowed me to refresh uh, certain things like that. I also play the piano. That was another thing. And, and you look at it and you think like, how does that like benefit your running at all? But I just sort of think of it as it's sort of like a mental refresher. It sort of goes out there. And I think a lot of people don't sort of recognize how much things like that really affect your performance. And so that I think finding some hobbies like those uh, throughout that time of COVID was also very beneficial to me sort of in, in the recruiting process and sort of uh, getting times and, and keeping that sort of competitive spirit. We, we didn't even know about the piano, so we'll cover that in a little bit. Yeah, they left the piano off the oh, yeah. uh, off on. of the, the... Come on, Coach Nelson. Yeah. I, got, we, we still have an ace in the hole that we're going to talk about. Tennessee does so much. First of all, I feel... I'm 38. I don't feel like accomplished at all. No, and nothing. And, and we're only 20 minutes, 20 yeah. minutes in. 18-year-old Canadian who's lived in Brooklyn for a month and does all these awesome things. I'm like, man, I really pissed away a lot of years. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what have I done wrong? Like, <laughs> I'm like, wow. Uh, kudos to your parents. Seriously. Yeah, uh, they're amazing. <laughs> so let, let's, I, I, I have like 30 things to talk about, but quickly, I don't want to breeze through it, but um, you go out in your first Mac indoor championship and you finish second in the mile. Uh, what what events do you like the most? I mean, obviously the mile you're dribbling basketballs, but what what events do you like the most? Um, and then talk a little bit about being part of a relay. You're you're part of a record setting four by eight team. You you let them out, right? Let them off, uh, I think. Um, so so just you know, give us give us what you love to do when it pertains to competing in track and field. 
Right. Um, so basically, you mentioned a, a few events. I, I sort of dabble in that middle distance, sort of 800 up to even up to 5K, which which some people laugh when I call that middle distance. But quite honestly, like when there's when there's other when people there's the on my, 10K. Yeah, when there are other people <laughs> on my team running the 10K, that that's that's when it gets a little too far for me. But um, um, yeah, the indoor the indoor MAC championship was was a really good for su- success for the entirety of our team. Um, everyone sort of went out there uh, and did their job, and that's sort of what we talked about uh, before the meet. Um, was that's just that's all we have to do. Everyone has to go out there, and and everyone does their job, and we should see success. And honestly, couldn't have played out any better. It seemed like everyone from like my event group in in middle distance to longer distance to sprints to throws to jumps to vaults, everyone just sort of went out there and did their job. And I think having that in in my first year here was really something incredible because I didn't obviously I came here wanting championships and like wanting that sort of competitiveness to to go out and and capture gold as much as as much as I could for the team and have the team do so as well but having that happen the first year and having it happen so quickly was sort of like wow like we have a really really good program here Um, and so that's sort of the thing that has sticked with me throughout this year is we have a really good team and I think that that's accredited to all the people on the team, the the coaches, and sort of our mentality to go after it, where it's like we we go into a meet like that expecting, okay, everyone has to do their job, and 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 the results will come out of that. Um, and then uh, considering the relay, I'm I'm just incredibly lucky to be part of a great relay team. It's not oftentimes that every single year is will set records or yeah. or do incredible incredibly well at Mac championships or uh, IC4A championships but it just so happens that the year that I'm coming here we have uh, even there's only four people that compete on the relay team but we have seven or eight guys that could that could fill in a relay spot which is absolutely absurd like most years you don't even like you'll have two sometimes one maybe three uh, strong relay uh, competitors to to put into a meet um, and this year it was really tough because we had like seven or eight guys. Right. And I think that's really, um, that's really good when you go into that because knowing that you have eight guys that can go that and you take, you take four of them, that really makes those four really step up and say, okay, yeah, let's, let's go after it and get it. And I think uh, being a part of uh, me along with three other of my teammates, I think uh, once I get out there, you mentioned that I let off as well. Uh, I, I'm standing on the line and I'm thinking, okay, I gotta, I really gotta get this done for those three guys for the rest of my team. I think that sort of mentality and that almost that sort of pressure really allows people on a relay team to step up. And I think that's another great thing about our, our relay teams is we sort of, we sort of rise to the pressure. Um, like we all have sort of that mentality and that, and that like competitive spirit that when we go out there, it's like we we really want to rip and we want to we want to do everything we can. And I think that's that's a huge part of the relay team that um, and and even the people that weren't on the relay team but have that sort of mentality that sort of allowed us to to succeed so greatly. Do you like being the, in the top spot for the relay leading off? Do you think that the, the who has the most pressure? Does the anchor have the most pressure, or does the first person have the most pressure? So honestly, I'm I'm not completely 100% sure about. I feel like I feel like maybe maybe if you were if you were really to put them all side by side, maybe the anchor has the most pressure because it's like, okay, I really got to close this out now. <laughs> right. Um um and and kudos to our anchor who ran incredibly in in every single race that we had because there is a lot of pressure with that. Like you you go out there and you think, okay, if 
if you are in first, then it's got to be like, okay, no one can pass me now. And if you're, if even if you're just behind first, it's like, okay, like my team is counting on me to, to get those people. But I think everyone else in the relay also obviously feels a lot. It's like, I can't let these other people down. I've got to really, I've got to really put my team in a good position so that the people after me can do well with what they've done. And so that the people before me, all of their hard work just didn't go for, for, for me nothing. to run okay. So, and I think that's why uh, the these relays, like the 4x800 that we had, it really brings the best out of people because you're doing it for yourself, you're doing it for your relay team, and you're just doing it for the team in general because obviously you're going to earn points uh, for doing well in the relay. And so you sort of combine all those things, the inspiration of being able to do well for yourself and, and your team is just really brings out the best in people. And I think... I think that's exactly what we saw when we ran those four by eights. It's such an interesting sport because it's an individual sport that does have that team component. And you, you've mentioned it a few times, the being a part of a championship program. It's not just being maybe an individual champion or part of a, of, of a championship relay, but it's, it's a program when you were and not to go too far back, but when you were looking at Monmouth and now that you're here, was that equally as important to you? Yes. Can I develop here as a, as a person, both academically and athletically, but I want to be a part of a championship team because it looks like if you're looking at a basketball team, you look, can I score a lot of points for this team? Can they win? Okay. In track and field, is it in your mind? Was it 50-50? Was it part of your decision that, you know, I want to go become the best athlete I can, the best student I can, but you know what? It is important to be a part of a team that wins a lot of championships. How much of, of a factor was that in, in your decision to come to Monmouth? Oh, that was definitely a huge factor. Like being, being part of a team in any sport is... Or, or a strong team and, and a team that really meshes and bonds well together is huge because at the end of the day, those are the people that are sort of pushing you to become better. Those are the people that are allowing uh, you to become greater. And so definitely looking looking at schools, um, it's incredibly important to see, first of all, do I fit in well with this team? Do I think, do I think this team could really fit well with me? But also you want to sort of find a team that you can you can succeed with because obviously um, not only like obviously winning is is definitely fun um, but obviously um, if you can do that alongside a lot of other people who are working just as hard as you are um, it it really uh, as I said before it really brings out the best in people and so um, I was also very very lucky in in high school to also have a very very competitive uh, team. Uh, both in track and cross country, my year was incredibly strong at my high school in Canada, and and that sort of allowed me to see because I had friends who were on high school teams that weren't as strong. I was like, wow, I am really lucky to have all these people not only to push me but also to cheer me on to and like sort of inspire and motivate me. And so I sort of took those experiences and I was like, wow, I really want to be a part of a program like this in college like I don't want to just go to a college where I have to motivate myself and keep myself going and develop myself but I also want to help other people have other people help me and and really if you if you get enough people like that everyone just benefits like exponentially through that I feel like we've you know in in talking with Tennessee and you know Greg I Tennessee, does the word do you have your parents introduced you to the phrase, or do you know it? What a what a Renaissance man is. Have you heard that phrase? Yeah, I've heard the I've heard the phrase. Okay, good because there's only the, as you talk and as you talk about more of your experiences and all of your well-rounded things that you've done. I don't know. It's the only thing that I thought of, Greg, when when talking about this. Someone who's accomplished and just a freshman, but 
in the athletic world, mm-hmm. in the academic world, doing other things. And like you said, there's still huge accomplishments that we haven't even talked about yet mm-hmm. that when we were getting ready to do this, I'm like, wait, how do you find the time to do all this stuff? Definitely. And and it's funny because you're kind of, you're going into a, a software engineering major, one that I think at Monmouth had, over the last probably six or seven years has really kind of taken off. And, and there's a lot of student athletes that have success stories coming out of here with that degree. So when, when I was a freshman here in 02 Tennessee, it was not the program that it is now. Like Greg said, I would say within the last seven, eight years, mm-hmm. it has taken off. So, so why software engineering? And, and have you gotten to take, taken any of those classes or are you still kind of in your jet ends, your, your freshman year stuff? Right. So it's been a lot of gen eds for sure, but I have been able to take a lot of computer science programming and courses like sort of enough. And I've also sort of been, uh, I've been blessed in a way where I've also had a small background in that there were my high school offered a few, a few courses in that. And that's sort of what allowed me to be like, wow, I really, really want to uh, go into computer programming and software engineering. Um, and so s- thus far there has definitely been a lot more gen eds, obviously, um, in, in your earlier years, you definitely have to be more focused on being well-rounded before you get into your later concentrations, because in many of these gen eds, there are a lot of skills that you, ha- that, um, that you can really take from there at like sort of, it's easy to take skills from those gen ed courses and apply them to the rest of your life. Um, and so thus far there's been, obviously I've had to take a lot of sort of English and thinking courses sort of like that, but I've also been able to get into some programming courses and that's sort of, uh, I'm, I'm learning more and more that that's definitely something that I want to, I want to go into. I feel like me, I'm definitely a big problem solving type of person. I love like sort of being presented with a problem or, or, or something similar like that, like a proof or, or something to do with math and really being able to think and solve it. And because when you, when you eventually accomplish something, this is one like huge thing about computer programming that people might not know is once you are able to solve something or you, you complete something, it is like the biggest sort of not just relief, but is also like the biggest reward ever. You don't, you don't necessarily get something out of it, but when you can solve like a problem that's given to you and it just all ends up working out through all the, the, all the sort of messes along the way, it is incredibly rewarding. And so that's like along with the problem solving and that sort of like reward that you get and, and the idea that you can do so much with it now is is something that really makes me go, this is definitely something that I want to get into. And, of course, it has a ton of, like you said, critical thinking, um, which kind of leads me into our next segue of you being a grandmaster in chess. So slightly inaccurate, I'll, I'll okay. say that. <laughs> uh, Coach I, Nelson gave I, me this. I definitely, like, I, I love chess, and I'm trying to get, like, my, my sort of next goal with chess is to become titled in that, in that sort of sense. Okay. But the grandmaster part actually refers to a variant of chess that, like, is sort of, like, slightly separate from chess. It's a version of chess called anti-chess, oh. um, which is a little confusing. In, in essentially, the point is you're trying to get all of your pieces taken away. It's sort of the opposite but if you are like forced to capture your opponent's piece, then you have to. So it's almost like like it's it's a little backwards when you think about it at first. Really? So that's sort of that's where I get my title from. I'm an anti chess grandmaster, but I'm an extreme chess enthusiast. Oh, yeah. I've never heard of that before. Yeah, the reason I didn't talk is because I was picking up the brain matter <laughs> on the wall behind me from what Tennessee just said. Okay, explain like you just said that again to folks that have never heard it. So, so okay. you are you're a chess enthusiast. Who's a right. grandmaster at anti-chess? Right. 
I feel like that needs to be the next Netflix show. I got to look this up because now essentially what you have two people playing each other that are trying to get their pieces taken. Exactly. That's exactly it. And then what? The goal is to just have your your, your king left? So the king's actually just another piece in this sort of thing. It's just, it, it has no like royal power or anything like that. And so it, it gets interesting because like obviously I'm like, because people think, oh, I'm, I'm terrible at chess. So I'm going to be great at anti-chess. <laughs> But the, the problem with that is your opponent is also, like, trying to get you to, to take, take their his, own pieces. Take their pieces. So it's, it's, it's very interesting because you also think of it very backwards, like, oh, I want to give everything away. But one thing that I've actually learned a lot from this is it's sort of, like, this is going to sound really weird, but it's sort of the same as chess or any other sort of strategy game, even sports, where it's, like, the more people that you have close to action uh, – and the more people that can get involved at once, uh, the more deadly and more threatening you can be. If you think of uh, maybe something like basketball, right? If all five of your players are in a good position, or in a, th- and all five of your players are a threat at the same time, then obviously you're gonna you're gonna be the most threatening team and the most deadly team because uh, all five of your players are, are a threat to score or a threat to to stop the ball. Right. And it's sort of a similar way in both chess and anti-chess is you actually it's actually good to keep pieces for longer because if you have more then they can provide more threats and so it's sort of backwards that way but it also connects to things like sports and other strategy games and i feel like that's something that i've really taken from these games is the more the more threats that you can have and the more things sort of you have on your side at once uh the more you can sort of exploit something else you know what would be the most confusing thing in the world if you didn't know what he just said? If you're watching two people, people play, play that. anti-chess without knowing what it anti-chess. is and then watching the person win celebrate, you're like, wait, why are they celebrating? It's backwards. 100%. Right. So now at least it applies a little bit of context to it. If you ever see him in the park, right, when you're walking through, got it. They play where they were playing anti-chess. Yeah, I would love to know, like, I've never heard of it before. So, like, we're just people bored playing regular chess and they're like, you know, it'd be fun if if we tried yeah, to Yeah, was our- regular chess too easy? Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. So do you play regular chess too? I, I do as well. And that's sort of, I, I sort of picked up, uh, anti-chess was another thing that I picked up during COVID because it's like, I, I really want to like diversify, I guess, my, my chess knowledge. And I just sort of found this like side game. And sort of now what I'm looking to do is maybe over the summer is really start focusing on on standard chess or, or, or normal chess because I think the end goal is maybe once I, once I finish college or something like that, when I have sort of, Maybe a little extra time, or a little, uh, a little extra, or maybe a little less to do. For example, uh, that's something that I definitely want to pursue. It's just to me, it's just such an intriguing game. I, I mentioned before that I'm a huge like problem solving, like even nerd. Like I just I love that sort of thing. And so, um, when the next time I have enough time or or enough sort of like a long period of time where I can really uh, sp- spend time visiting it over and over again. Uh, getting titled and and becoming even uh, ranked in in some sort of way is definitely something that I would look forward to. Wild. <laughs> I'm still trying to gather up. I'm gonna have. To, I'm said. literally going to Google later and watch some two people play anti chess. I just Googled it. I've got it queued up for the end of our conversation. <laughs> I'm gonna watch that. You know, Tennessee. I'm curious about something, and I feel like it's after all the things that we just asked you. It's not even gonna sound that interesting, but. Your first name, is it a family name? Is there the story behind it? Because it, it's so unique and I feel like it's so interesting. It's kind of a throwback of a, of, a, of a previous era. Is there a story 
to how you were named, how your family named you? Is it run in the family? It's so interesting. Right. So essentially this, this sort of surprised people, but it comes kind of as a byproduct of watching Seinfeld. Um, if you know Seinfeld and the episode, the seven where George wants to name his kid seven, um, to my knowledge, what happened was my dad and his friends were sort of like laughing about that. And they were like, they were just throwing around like other sort of random names. Like they went through numbers and, and provinces and States. And my dad sort of came across 10, he was like Tennessee. And everyone was like, wow, that's actually like, that would be, that would be a really sick name. And so, uh, once, once I came along, he was like, you know what, Tennessee, Tennessee works well. And this actually, it actually worked out perfectly because it allowed for my initials to become TNT, which is, which is also, <laughs> which is also pretty cool. Do you have any siblings? I do. I have a younger sister. Is, does she have a state name? She does not. Her name's Acadia, but there is a national park in Maine called Acadia National Park. Sure. So. Sure. Okay. So. Well, there's yeah. only, I know two tennis, well, I, we know of Tennessee Williams. He was a playwright. And now right. it's just, I don't know. There's such a mystique around the awesome. sound of your name. I'm very jealous because it's so cool. I love that it came from essentially just sitting around and kicking around different ideas off of off of essentially a Seinfeld. Ironically, so. it's so Seinfeld too. Yeah, yeah. yeah it really is. It's, it's it awesome. is, and it's also interesting that the impact of that show not only reaches all of us who kind of grew up watching it, but globally. reaches yeah globally, right? It goes. So was it on syndication all the time in Canada, just like it is here in the United States? It's it's a show that my my dad, for example, loves. Like it's and and that's sort of been passed down to me. It's, mm -hmm. it's something that like, I don't, I don't have these times often, but if I ever just like, if I ever feel like watching a show, it's always something that, that I look at because it's just, it's something that you can just sort of laugh to and, and just sit around. You can talk to people while you're watching. It's just very easy going. And so it's, it's something like very easy. And I think that's why it's so accessible to people around the globe and people of different generations as well. So yeah. it's interesting that that Tennessee kind of takes, you know, a question that we normally ask our guests that's kind of answered already, right? Yeah, yeah. We can't ask him about hobbies or special talents. No, because unless there's another one. I mean, he touched really quickly on on playing the piano. Like, is that something you've done from when you were a kid? Or I I sort of picked that up when I was younger. And I another thing that my family sort of like prioritizes is is learning new things. And music is definitely one of those things. And so I I pick up I picked up a little bit of a lot of different instruments, but that's sort of the one that sort of. I really wanted to continue to pursue and sort of when I reached about fifth or sixth grade, um, I didn't want to like actually like sort of play re I, this sounds bad, but I didn't want to play like real piano, like get certain grade levels. I just sort of like playing whatever song that I enjoyed. And one thing that that really allowed me to do is it improved. Uh, I guess like now I'm, I'm an incredibly sort of auditory learner. And I think that comes from that because what I do now is, most people, when they when they go to play the piano, they they go up and they find their sheet music and they they read it and they play it. Um, for me, it's sort of like the same thing, but through hearing, I'll 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 put my phone up and I'll go on Spotify and I'll uh, I'll play a song, and if that's the song I like, then I'll then I'll quickly pick it up on piano. So it's less like I'm reading the music and I'm like listening to music and then I'll play along. Play the notes. Yeah, no, that's pretty amazing. That's so interesting. Also, the way that you kind of picked it up, it's. It's the anti-piano, right? It's the it's it's not the way that people pick it up. <laughs> yeah, not traditionally learning to read sheet music and, and right. like you said, the first thing people do when they sit down at an organ or a piano is open up the sheet music and start going. So. I'm always so interested by by people that think differently than I do and we do, and 
this is the whole conversation has just been fascinating because it's, you know, you can't put yourself in that position, but it also is, is really just so intriguing. And, you know, Tennessee, we normally ask people what their shows are, what their music is. But one of the things that you brought up forever ago at the start of our conversation, all the, all the traveling and visiting you did. So besides Brooklyn, what, what were the, the places that you got to visit throughout your time, you know, either with your family or through competitions, but, but what are the places that, that you almost were your favorite? you know, to visit. Right. I, I get this question sometimes and I'm, and, and I'll be completely honest. I'm a little like sort of almost confused of how to answer it because I feel like it's really tough to pick like a favorite place. It's almost like, uh, I, I mean, I can't say I know what it's like, but it's almost like choosing a favorite child. Like it's not, it's not something that you can just definitively say, Oh yeah, this one. Uh, but I will say maybe, maybe one that really opened my eyes and this one sort of surprised a lot of people because I don't think it's, it's a place that many people get to go to is Oman which is a country in the Middle East. It's just south of uh, Saudi Arabia, I'm pretty sure. And um, and what that that really allowed, that was sort of a big game changer for me for realizing not all people sort of live like us in a way. I don't want it to sound like rude or anything like that, but I, I was really able to see how people halfway across the world uh, actually live because generally when people go out uh, on these like vacations, they, they normally tour around like the big tourist destinations like they'll go to the the large building or like the historical place but we sort of walked around the streets in in a few cities in Oman and it was really eye-opening to see like how different it was than than where we live because obviously when I came from Canada to here um, it's it's less of a culture shock per se than it is for someone halfway across the world so I think uh, that place for sure in in Oman was was really an eye opener, and so when people ask me that question, I I generally don't say I have a favorite, but that may have been like like it sort of changed the way I think a lot a lot more than than other places. What's the big Tremaine trip of the of the summer? Is there is there one queued up? Um, I I'm a little unsure right now. So one thing one thing that could have been possible though, it we'll we'll see what happens is. Both of my parents are also very engaged with running. Like they, they both love it. My 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 mom loves running. My dad's a huge competitor. Um, and so if he's healthy and and depending on how the dates work out, I'm pretty sure the World Masters um, uh, track and field meet is in Finland this year. And mm-hmm. if and if my parents stay healthy and and they really want to do that, then maybe that's something that they would they would go and do. Like go go see go see Finland a little bit and. Uh, at the same time go and be able to compete. And, and so you sort of knock off two birds with one stone with that. So, sure. yeah, yeah, may, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll see if that, we'll see if something like that occurs. I'm smiling. Cause if he asked me, I would have said like lava <laughs> <laughs> right, right. No, I knew yeah, it was going to be something good. I, I think it's awesome. I, I, you know, I talked to my wife about, you know, wanting to travel more while our kids are, are younger. It's just, we can't do it right now, but I think it's, I think it's amazing. I think you, you know, I would love to meet your parents when they come to campus and just yes. be like, Hey, you guys are awesome. And, and you've done an awesome job. So, um, that's amazing. what I, that, yeah, definitely. Well, in, in the, your story in, in what's gotten you to this point, and we know that you're just the beginning of your college journey and your college career, but to accomplish what you have and, and to still have all these goals, it's, it really is remarkable. And, and we're thankful that you were able to give us some time because between finals coming up and, and competition and everything else going on in your world, we know that, you know, time management, which you seem to have mastered 
at a young age. Sure. Is, uh, it really is tough. So we really thank you for joining us. And this has been, I, I know I speak for Greg when I say it, as fun a conversation as we've had. And we're excited to watch your, uh, you know, next couple years here and watch you, you grow in your college journey. And, and we really appreciate the time. Well, thank you so much. This has been such a blast, and I think I think this this sort of uh, this sort of interview type of thing really provides really great exposure for a lot of uh, Monmouth athletics, and I think that's really awesome. So, thank you so much for having me. No problem. Amazing. Thanks for thanks for coming. We'll be back. We again want to thank Tennessee Trumaine for joining us, a, a true renaissance man just as a college freshman and so excited for the future for him in all of his endeavors. And, and we appreciate him for swinging by and talking to Greg and I on Hawk Talk. And, you know, Greg, with the men's and women's track and field program in the outdoor and Tennessee and his teammates doing so well, you know, the spring season now is getting to a point where we're getting into that kind of nitty gritty of the final game or two and everyone's regular season championships tournaments are coming up. Maybe no one playing better on campus right now than this women's lacrosse program that is just surging. It took us to bring on Cassidy Orban, right? To get sure. them surging. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, as of right now, they're winners of five straight and they are tied for second in the conference. They could be tied for first when their first, uh, co-regular, season championship in, I think, four years or five years. Uh, and, and they're as hot as anybody in the conference right now. So they can they can definitely go in and go and win this thing um, wherever it may be hosted. So uh, they're, they're definitely fun to watch, scoring a lot of goals, playing good defense. Uh, and they've got one more match on Saturday against Quinnipiac, uh, a team that always plays them tough. They, they, they don't, they're going back to the NEC days. You mentioned it, though. No one hotter in women's lacrosse than – that team scoring 17 goals at a minimum per game. These last three games, they're averaging about 20 goals a game. So Jordan Troutman has this team kind of playing the right way at the right time. Mm -hmm. And that last game that they had against Marist, it was just so impressive that, you know, Marist team that's struggling a little bit, but right. traditionally is really, really strong. But what the women's team did, they jumped on top. They never let him go. They seem to have a different look to it right now, don't they? Yeah, I think they got some fire to them. It, it was uh, it was eleven one after the first fifteen minutes, which is unbelievable. I've never seen us score fifteen uh, eleven goals in fifteen minutes ever. And um, you know, kudos to Coach Troutman because she she called the dogs off pretty early in the second half. Uh, I think literally with about six minutes left in the third quarter, almost every single starter came out and uh, every single healthy player played. Uh, had a goalie switch, so Kennedy Fruit got some work in there in the second half, uh, and uh, kind of cruised to that win over a team that's you know a top three team year in and year out in, in the Marist Red Foxes. Obviously, having a little bit of a, of a down year, but uh, that was definitely fun to do on Senior Day and, and uh, set up this final weekend here. And a big final weekend, like you said, at Quinnipiac. Conversely, one of our next home games on campus is the men's lacrosse team senior day. That is on Friday. That's three o'clock against Manhattan. It's our final lacrosse broadcast of the year um, because as of right now, right, Monmouth can't host a postseason game in the MAC. Uh, they're coming off a 6-4 win over Canisius. And I think you look for similar kind of score. You know, the, the women, it's funny how both of these lacrosse teams are so different. The women, high scoring, you know, kind of high tempo, while the men are as 
solid defensively as anyone in the league. They control their own destiny. They win two. They're in the postseason. If they lose one of them, they leave it up to other uh, results and things that are going on. But uh, that's a big game and against a Manhattan team that they're now seeing for the fourth time since last year this time. Yeah, I think that's always a good matchup too. I think it's kind of butted into maybe a little bit of a rivalry. Uh, and it's important. So, and, and they're fun to watch. I mean, I had bumped into friend friend of mine's parents um, who ended up taking one of their kids to a game, and, and they told me how much fun it was and, and how, you know, high-energy team. And even though they're not putting up a ton of goals per game, they, they just there's some fantastic plays being played out there. And, and knowing goal is always very good. So it's uh, definitely important to come out on Friday night and, and, and Friday afternoon and support these Hawks. As we take a look around the the spring sport landscape, there is uh, the the softball team is going to be on the road for the next like month or so. They're not home until the middle of May, but uh, their you know counterpart on the diamond um, uh, in our baseball team has been uh, just so good early in this season. They've been so fun to watch, and you want to talk about that that you know the reverse of the Madden Jinx is the Hawk Talk. Uh, whatever you want to call it, right? Because you come on the show, you win player of the week. It's kind of what we do. Uh, Trey Dombrowski's been the Mac Pitcher of the Week five times. It's only the end of April, and he's been the Mac Pitcher of the Week five times. We're, just, we're, we're trying to find out if that was a record, but uh, according to some sources, the records only go back to 2017. <laughs> well, they played baseball before right, then, though, in the so league. It's absurd. But, but between, you know, Trey on the mound and, and some of the other really good Hammerstead, local, as yeah. he was called up at Seton Hall. Really good. Is that what they were calling him? They called him Hammerstead, which is awesome. I mean, he congratulations. Now you have a nickname. Yeah, it's great. But how, I mean, they've been really good to Jay watch. Bant. They've been solid. And that's a team that's going to be in the mix up until the last week of the season. I'm talking in the postseason. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. And Coach E. Halt starts off the year every year. I don't know how we're going to be good. But you know that we're going to be one of those top three teams, top four teams come when it comes right down to it. And I wouldn't be shocked with the pitching staff that they have that uh, we're not holding the regular season championship with that one seed heading into uh, into their final weekend. Their, yeah, I guess it's a weekend, long weekend of play up there in uh, Hudson County or wherever it is. Well, and even before then, they actually have their last six – Games, their last two series are on the road. They go to Siena. They actually finish the year in Buffalo, which the best time to go to Buffalo is probably your last week of the season. Um, it is beautiful up there this time of year. And then they go up to uh, New York State, just kind of right over the border, um, up there, up Route 17 for their conference tournament. Um, but six in a row at home in league play, Marist and Ryder back-to-back, so a nice chance for them mm-hmm. to, to go make some noise. Uh, other teams competing, golf championships in Florida, tennis championships here in uh, Windsor Park and, you know, Mercer County. And um, I know the men's and women's teams, you know, so excited. The women are having their best season in years. And we talked to Chris Light on the on the podcast recently. They're going out and trying to just keep this run going with this men's tennis program. Dominance. Just dominance. I'm very excited for them. Like you said, he talked about Fairfield. I know he's not looking past anybody, but it's looking like they're going to end up playing Fairfield most likely in the, in the conference championship match. On Sunday, and uh, that was a close match earlier this year. So it'll be interesting to see who wins the battle of adjustments and if they could win their, I don't know what it is at this point, seventh straight, something. I think it'd be the sixth or seventh, maybe the seventh. I think it's the seventh straight at this point. So just dominance. We, they don't get enough love. Men's tennis. Go back and listen to that episode. His numbers are low. They did a good job, though. Yeah. And, and, and Chris is a very, you know, he, he's a very kind of logical, 
guy when it comes to all that and how he recruits and he's kind of meticulous with detail. And mm -hmm. one of the reasons why we were so impressed with, you know, his kind of his, his track record. Um, but we'll end with a sport that isn't a spring sport, but is competing and they're now finishing up their spring. And like we did with the lacrosse family day double header last weekend, um, we talked it up. Pretty good crowd. Must be some correlation there. So we'll do the same thing with the football team spring showcase coming up this Saturday, at one o'clock at Kessler Stadium. Uh, it's your chance, your first chance to see the first Mammoth team that will play in the CAA wrap up their spring here on Saturday. Yeah, definitely, and it's going to be fun. I mean, we don't have a traditional. People ask, we don't have a traditional like blue versus white game. We just don't have enough bodies. Uh, a lot of offseason, you know, shoulder surgery stuff like that kind of make the line the different lines um, a little too thin for that. But it is still fun. It'll be a lot of scrimmaging. I'm sure they'll get in about 90 plays. Uh, referees, a lot of excitement. We have some um, giveaways. We have some posters that'll be uh, getting signed uh, after practice or after the showcase uh, by members of our team. So come out and get your poster, get it signed, and get ready for the first season of the CAA. It'll be great. Like Greg said, you get a chance to come out, get some autographs, meet the players, you could see this Hawks team, which everyone is so excited about seeing uh, year one in the CAA, like Greg said. Maybe the most important thing is you can go out and you can get your season tickets. You can have your first shot to get the best seats available. That is this Saturday, Kessler Stadium at 1 o'clock. Um, Benny will be here handling tickets. Ken will be here doing his blue-white thing. Kelly will have a great marketing table. Mm -hmm. We do have some sponsors coming out as well. So it will be a great afternoon. We'll be here. It's that time of year where we're just kind of here all the time anyway. So sure. make sure that you're here on Saturday. And, you know, Greg, I look forward to the next one of these. I know we're coming down to the year of season one, if we put it in quotes. But sure. uh, it's always so fun, and I'm excited about what the last few episodes are going to have in store for us. Yeah, definitely. And uh, come out. A lot, lot of Hawks to support here. And um, let's wrap up these finals. We have the Student Athlete Awards Banquet on uh, – it's not Banquet. I guess it's a show now. That's right. On Tuesday. We don't have to really get into that, but you'll be uh, keep your eyes peeled uh, for a live stream of that. That'll be up. And um, some of the major award winners and we'll at least announce the nominees for the Paul Gaffney Male and Female Student Athletes of the Year. Yeah. Excited for that. Excited for it every year. We appreciate you again checking this out. Make sure you tell your friends. Subscribe. Rate. Review. Subscribe. Listen. It's the most important thing. It's the most important thing. You get it right to your phone as soon as this episode Before we drops. start promoting it, every all the once I click upload, once we edit it and click upload, you're going to get it downloaded onto your phone or at least get a notification that says, this must have to listen to podcasts is here. You do it with everything else. You do it with Netflix. Netflix. Because you know when Ozark's coming out, a couple weeks, by the way. <laughs> you do it with Hawk Talk. Stranger it's, Things. It's the, Exactly. My daughter's obsessed with Stranger Things. All is that like the new show? I don't know. I do. The kids now are like thirty-five, <laughs> a little true. bit old to be fighting monsters and stuff. Like, come on, go out and get jobs. Follow, do, get that four hundred one k going. Do monsters age as well? No, they seem to be ageless. Okay, I never seen an old monster really. Like no monster, like retire, hang it up. Mm -mm. Not even in like Monsters Inc. Great. Monster movie. That, that is a great movie, which bears a striking resemblance to our own campus, by the way, which sure. is very interesting. Monster we really view. appreciate you checking out another episode of Hawk Talk. We'll be here for the next few weeks. Excited to do it. Make sure you listen back through all the ones that you missed. We appreciate you listening to this one, and we'll catch you on the next one.
This has been a production of the Monmouth Digital Network. Hawk Talk is available on all major podcast distribution sites, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, Pandora, and more. All rights reserved. Yeah.